Welcome everyone to Idiots with Idioms. I am your co-host, Ethan Arsh, joined as always by my partner in idiocy, Marcello De Giorgi. Uh, today we have a special episode of Idiots with Idioms. Today is our first ever mini episode of Idiots with Idioms. So our normal episodes, of course, involve an interview with someone and we go into detail on several idioms um, in uh, with a native speaker of a certain language. In today's episode, it's just Marcello and I on the show, and we're going to talk about one very specific theme. And so we plan on releasing these regular regularly in conjunction with our regular episodes. And so to get into it in today's episode, we're going to uh, discuss uh, legends and myths from uh, ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And we're going to talk about how these Greek and Roman myths are used in English lexicon today. Uh, So with that, I will hand it over to Marcello, who can introduce our first idiom. Hello, everyone. We're going to start with one of the most famous idiom that comes from uh, ancient Greece, which is the Midas touch. Midas is the protagonist of many legends, and uh, it is a figure that's been uh, studied a lot by uh, historians. But now we're going to focus on uh, why we said that he had the golden touch. Actually, this idiom has a literary uh, origin, the metamorphosis of the Roman writer Ovid. In Ovid's story, Mida, the king of Pyrgia, the actual Anatolia in Turkey, finds an old satyr that's been drinking and it's been wandering about, he's completely lost. Midas recognizes the satyr and treats it with, a, well, with hospitality for ten days and nights. After that, Mida gets back the satyr to Dionysus, uh, which offered Mida the choice of whatever he wished for as a, as a reward. That's where Midas asks that whatever he might touch should be changed into gold. While the beginning is really happy about this new power that he has, that he has he soon finds out that this is nothing but a curse because he discovers that even if he touches food or drink, this is turned into gold in his hands. So he regrets right away that he wished for this. Nowadays, this expression is used more in a positive way and we say that somebody has the middle touch when uh, he's really good in business, for example. I've always thought this is really a weird expression, right? Because... It should mean a Midas touch or a Midas touch. It should be something that is like someone who it looks good, but their effects are actually bad. You know, like instead of it being like, oh, that person has the Midas touch. It should be like that person shows off the, it has the impression of something positive, but in reality, their effects are negative. Anyway, still it's used, and it, t- today it's used, okay, that person has the Midas touch, it means that they really can do no wrong. I guess that turbo capitalism has uh, erased this layer of, uh, uh, of the story of Ovid. Exactly. I think, I think if people only knew the, the, the story for Metamorphosis, then, uh, then we would use the expression completely differently. Speaking about Midas, there is another idiom that is related to his family, the Gordian knot. 
This idiom comes from Gordius, who was Midas' father. Gordius was the founder of the capital of Pyrgia, which was called Gordium. And the, the myth goes that he was a poor farmer that happened to pass by to the Pyrgian capital when they had just consulted an oracle that had said to them, your new king should be the first person that comes into town. Well, that was very convenient for him. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so he arrived into town with, with his chariot, he was declared king, and this chariot was put in the, in the upper part of the city as a sort of a sacred item. In order for it not to be stolen, they created a, they took some ropes and they knotted it with a Gordian knot, which is basically something really intricate and something super difficult to, to unknot. This story is also related to uh, Alexander the Great, because uh, when we, he was going for his conquer of um, the Middle East and Asia, he passed by the city of Gordium. There was a myth that whoever was able to unknot the Gordian knot would have been uh, uh, the new ruler of Asia. What Alexander did was he didn't spend any time trying to unknot it, but he took his sword and with a fence he unknotted the knot. So basically, now the Gordian knot is related to this story, which is basically a propaganda story by Alexander the Great. And Gordian knot is nowadays used, not so often, but it is used in the sense of finding a creative solution to something that seems to be really difficult. Yeah, I think it's interesting to me here, and what I consider here is how Alexander in addition to being such an effective um, such an effective military mind and conqueror, he was also a great propagandist. So he, all the stories about this, he would make sure he would make sure to con whenever he conquered something or whenever he did something, he made sure to control the narrative and make sure that the story that came out of it was one that made him look relatively good. So there's all these great stories about Alexander and all of these sort of reasons why he would say that it was his destiny to be in charge of things and to conquer Asia. So one of my favorite idioms of all is actually the idiom Achilles heel. And so of course, in modern usage, Achilles heel means a weakness in an otherwise impervious entity. So often you hear, like, uh, this sports team is perfect, but they're, they're, they have one Achilles heel. Like, if you have a football team with an amazing, uh, amazing players at every position, except they have a weak goalkeeper, you might say, okay, their Achilles heel is their goalkeeper. And this story has a really interesting origin. I think many people know the basics of the origin story, so, uh... In Homer's Iliad, uh, Achilles is the greatest hero uh, of all the characters in the Iliad, but he's the greatest hero of the Greeks, and he's impervious to any attack, except he has a weakness on his heel. And towards the end of the Iliad, as the Greeks are sacking the city of Troy, the Trojan prince Paris uh, avenges his brother Hector, and he does so by shooting an arrow which strikes Achilles in the heel, and Achilles dies. And many people have said this story kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't. 
And the reason it doesn't is for a number of reasons. So first of all, how did Achilles become invulnerable except for on his heel anyway? And there's two stories for this. So the first one is that his mother, uh, Thetis, and Thetis was a nymph, was a naiad actually, so she was a water nymph in, um, in Greek mythology. She took the baby Achilles and dipped him in the river Styx. And by dipping him in this magical river, it made him impervious to attack. But when Thetis dipped Achilles in the river Styx, she held him by the heel. And when she held him by the heel, she uh, didn't place him all the way in the river because she didn't put the section of his body by which, he was, by which she was holding Achilles in the river. And everyone says, okay, Thetis, just put him all the way in the river. Your hand can get a little bit wet. It's okay. And so this story doesn't entirely, entirely make sense, uh, or at least uh, in the way it's commonly told, it, it, it doesn't, it's not completely logical. Um, but there's another story which says that Achilles, um, that Thetis decided to have Achilles made invulnerable or made invincible by putting him in a magical fire when he was uh, a, a, a blessed or a magically enhanced fire when he was a baby. And she started placing him in the fire, but then Achilles' father uh, saw what was going on. Achilles' father saw that Thesis, Thetis was putting him in the fire and, of course, appalled that his baby, that his son was being put in the fire, said, stop, pull him out of the fire. And so uh, Thetis was forced to pull him out of the fire before he was completely submerged in the fire, and thus his heel was not made invulnerable. That story, I think, makes a little bit more sense than the dipping in the river sticks. but on top of that, most people associate this story with the Iliad, where, of course, uh, the main story of the, from which we know Achilles, where he's really the primary protagonist of the Greeks, along with Odysseus, um, in the battle against the Trojans. Of course, however, in the Iliad, uh, the mention of Achilles being invincible never comes up. And it's implied sometimes in the Iliad that Achilles is invincible, but the reason for that is because he has this incredible, incredible suit of armor. So he has this suit of armor which was crafted by the smith god, the forging god Hephaestus, which is the finest suit of armor in among all of the Greek soldiers. And of course, the ancient Greek armor couldn't have, would typically not cover the heel of the person wearing it, uh, because they had to be able to move their legs and move their ankles in a way where they had to have full mobility around their heels. So, the idea that uh, Achilles was invincible other than on his heels probably did not originally involve uh, the river Styx. It was just that he had armor that was so great he was practically invincible when he was in battle, Achilles was. Okay, skip forward to... Uh, Roman times, and then we learn where the idea of Achilles being invincible comes from. So the first mention that we know of of this Achilles who was magically invincible comes from an epic by the Roman poet Statius, who wrote uh, an unfinished epic called the Achilleid. And in modern times, we don't have the entirety of that epic available to us, but we have parts of it. And in Statius's Achilleid is where we learn that is where the story of him being dipped in the river Styx comes from, not in the Iliad. So in the Iliad, 
the idea of the Achilles heel isn't doesn't really exist, even though the myth is vi- or even though the expression is very commonly associated with the Iliad. So, when did the Achilles heel show up in modern times? Well, it initially appeared anatomically. So, of course, you know, the uh, you might be familiar with the tendon um, at the bottom part of the back of one's leg is called the Achilles tendon. And that general area is called the Achilles heel. And that first showed up in an anatomy book by the Flemish anatomist Philip Verheyen. So that showed up in 1693. So the idea of calling that area the Achilles heel is quite quite old, and it goes as far back as 1693. However, as a metaphor, as a metaphor to mean something that's weak, it's actually quite a bit more recent. So the first time we see that is in uh, a usage by the, the English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge, and he wrote in 1810, Ireland, that vulnerable heel of the British Achilles. Uh, So he's saying Achilles, or excuse me, that Britain is like Achilles and that it's invincible, except for Ireland, which is its one, one, uh, one and only vulnerability. Yeah, so it shows up um, quite, and since then it showed up quite frequently, but if we look at when it's become popular it actually was very rarely used up until around uh, the 1950s. So using uh, Google Google Books Ngram Viewer, which is a resource that Google makes available where we can see the frequency with which a phrase was used in published text, we can see that uh, starting in around 1960, the expression started to be able started to be used really, really often, and that continued. And it peaked in uh, around the late 1980s. And since then, the expression has somewhat gone out of fashion. I still think it's a fairly common expression, but you see it less starting around 1990. um, And then now it's used quite a bit less than it was used in the second half of the 20th century. So anyway, if you thought that the story or the legend of the Achilles heel originated from the Iliad, In fact, it doesn't show up until about, or at least several hundred years later. Our last idiom today also stems from the Iliad. And so the idiom, the other idiom we wanted to touch on from the Iliad is the Trojan horse. And again, I think many people know the story of the Trojan horse. So, uh... Greeks at the end of the war with the Trojans seemed like they just couldn't break through the Trojan walls. And so Wiley Odysseus came up with a plan and he said, um, we need to offer the Greeks as a peace gift um, a, we will pretend to be making peace with the Trojans. Excuse me. The Greeks, he said, the Greeks should pretend to make peace with the Trojans and as a gift and an offering of their peace, they would give them a huge wooden horse. And, um, they, uh, then said, and then Odysseus, along with other, uh, Greek soldiers, uh, including Menelaus and some of the other major characters from the Iliad, would loaded themselves into the horse. And then the Trojans took the gift after some debate, they took the gift and brought it inside the city of Troy. Um, 
Meanwhile, the other Greeks, uh, the ones that were not inside the horse, went out to sea uh, so that it looked like they were sailing away back from the shores of Troy back to Greece. And then at nighttime, uh, Odysseus led the band of soldiers who were inside the horse out into the city of Troy. They killed the guardsmen who were guarding the gate, and they signaled to the other Greeks that they should come back because they were inside the city. And then once they were inside the city, the Greeks were very easily able to kill the Trojans and take the city. And of course, this is used quite directly today in modern modern usage. So they said, uh, so a Trojan horse is something that looks positive, but in reality, it's negative. It's very similar, or there's a lot of similar uh, idioms in uh, use such as like a, a rose with a thorn, for instance, uh, where something has a negative effect to it, or I think you could even relate it to uh, the expression poison pill, but perhaps that's for another episode. But I think a really interesting usage today um, is in the usage of uh, software. So perhaps you're familiar with the specific type of computer virus called a Trojan, where something is presented to you as something positive for your computer but it's like but when you download the positive thing the program that you've downloaded will also install something malicious on your computer some kind of malware on your computer so i think it's really interesting how this image of um the trojan horse still is still being used and actually being used in a rather modern um modern area of diction and jargon in this case in uh in software um so yeah that's the uh that's i think one of the most prominent ways that we still see trojan horse used today uh as far as uh it's usage today it's being used today more than it's being used basically at any other time in history at least again based on the google ngram viewer um report so uh, its usage has gone up really steadily in the past 50 years or so, and I think one of the reasons it's being used more than ever at this point is because of um, its usage in the world of software. That was all for our first mini-episode. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And remember to follow us on Facebook at Idiots with Idioms podcast we're also on instagram uh at the same name and on twitter that's at idiots w idioms if you want to follow us on twitter uh, in the meantime remember to subscribe and if you have any suggestions for uh topics we could cover or idioms we could mention on the show please feel free to get in touch with us uh, via those social media channels so see you next time thank you very much for joining us that's all with my friends just wanted to make a podcast with my friends and look at me now making a podcast with my friends
making a podcast with my friends. Just wanted to make a podcast with my friend. Just wanted to. Okay, let's watch the rest of the game.